Welcome to the Founders List Podcast, the official podcast of FoundersList.com, a place for founders and entrepreneurs to connect, find potential co-founders, relevant events, business partners, and search vetted service providers to help build their businesses. And now here's your host, Christopher Kim. And welcome to episode three of the Founders List Podcast. I'm here this week with Philip Camilleri. Now, Philip is the founder of Founders List, but besides that, he was the co-founder and CTO of Smart Asset, which is one of the biggest consumer-facing fintech portals out there. And he's here today to share his wisdom about finding a technical co-founder and what it takes to do the job. Now, Philip is from the island of Malta. Something we share in common is that we're both from islands, me from Hawaii and, and Philip from Malta. We've both been all over the world, but I'll let Philip fill you in on the rest. Sure. Well, firstly, Chris, thanks for taking the time to do this. This quick background into myself. I've been tinkering around with tech and computers since as long as I can remember. But on the entrepreneurial side, I'd say I remember as a kid, we were for some reason locked out of school. Bit of a long story, but my brother and I ended up selling herbs from our garden just to keep busy during the day. Sometime in high school as well or university, I started a small theater company with some friends, moved on to create the university newspaper. Um, so I guess I'd say I've always had an interest in entrepreneurship. Essentially, though, after university, I joined a company called iWorld, which was a business incubator. And I think there I got a bit more of a grounding in building startups. But after that, I moved off to the UK. And I think at that point, I moved into the corporate world, started working for basically investment banks. But then I guess sometime around 2008 or so, I started getting the itch to start something again. And thankfully, in 2010, I met uh, Michael, who ended up being my co-founder in my most recent startup, Smart Asset. And we grew that essentially from zero to basically where it is today, which I'd say is a pretty successful company, probably one of the best known fintech consumer information portals around. So before starting Smart Asset, you were basically working as an employee in an investment bank. And co-founding a startup is a lot different from working as an employee, isn't it? To be honest, I would say co-founding a startup is anything but like a normal job. I mean, just being in a place where essentially you don't really have a boss. You are the boss. You and your co-founder or co-founders are running things, setting deadlines, setting targets. At least for me, I'd honestly say like the first few months of running the startup, were probably the most shocking and unusual time of my life. So in that early startup phase, everything is kind of chaotic and ephemeral. And it's very important that your co-founder and yourself are on the same page and working toward the same goal. And I think personality fit probably plays into that quite a bit. Can you tell me a little bit about how personality affects decisions in finding a co-founder? So this is, this is probably a really interesting question that lots of folks starting businesses or startups are, are asking themselves. Um, finding a tech co-founder is, I guess, one of the hardest things to do. Many folks say it's like, basically like dating. So I would generally advise people looking for tech co-founders to look for individuals, obviously, who they, they connect with. They definitely believe in the same idea, are very enthusiastic about the project. Um, I would say your tech co-founder needs to be your biggest advocate, your top promoter. If they don't believe 101% in what you are building, then it's going to be very hard for them to really be a valuable co-founder. Other than that, though, I'd say a tech co-founder 
needs to have the skills to really work independently. As a tech co-founder, as CTO of a startup, there's nobody overseeing their work. There's nobody managing what they're doing. They are ultimately responsible for everything. So you need to be able, well, firstly, to trust that they know what they're doing and believe that or understand that they can get things done to completion. I would say another thing as a tech co-founder is you need to have a personality that's a bit, probably a bit crazy, being able to work through the highs and lows of a startup. If we talk about Paul Graham's startup curve, there's many, there's many highs, but many, many more lows as you're building a startup. And if you don't really believe in what you're building and the potential success of that product, those lows can really bring you down and hamper your work. So your tech co-founder needs to be somebody who well, either can work through those or can work with you to kind of power through those lows. Another, I think, important thing of a tech co-founder is finding someone who, who is collaborative. Like building a startup, building a tech startup is a straight situation. As in you don't have lots of folks around. You don't have lots of supporting team members. So both you and your co-founder need to be able to really be on the same page, understand what you're building, and work collaboratively to get things done. Getting things done is important. Skills are important, but it's not really just about the coding and the skills, though, is it? Yeah, Chris, far from it. I would honestly say your tech co-founder needs to be a jack or a jane of all trades. You've got one person, essentially, when you're starting, what, you and your co-founder, or maybe co-founders, but essentially your tech co-founder needs to be able to do, if not everything, almost everything on the tech side. That might be picking the right tools, the right technologies, Planning for the future, of course, but also bearing in mind that you've got to be extremely frugal and efficient when you're um, in your very early days, because otherwise, you know, startups run out of money. So case in point, one of the companies I'm advising right now is in their pre-seed stage, and they're planning to bring on, I think it was two DevOps and a DBA. And my big piece of advice was that's going to massively increase your burn rate. Is it something you really need right now, or is it something your, your tech co-founder can take on. It is a lot of stuff to take on, but that is the role of a tech co-founder, being able to get things done with as little, I guess, budget as quickly as possible in order to get the company moving forward. And I I think that's an interesting point right there because uh, a lot of things can be done really cheaply, but also if you're not looking, like the budget for tools and developers and all kinds of outsourced projects could really add up really fast. Yeah, for sure. When we started Smart Asset back in 2010, um, I guess I came from a background where I always tried to be as frugal as possible. So using things that are either free, open source, or had very low costs for early stage startups. To me, that was always a bit of a, a key focus. In fact, I used to find it a bit funny back then when I saw startups using, well, things like Microsoft tools that had pretty high licensing costs at the time. To me, one of the big things of a, of a tech co-founder is that person needs to build things, but also needs to select the right tools within, obviously, budgeted constraints. If you're an early stage startup, most of the time you don't have the massive budgets to spend on, on tools and technologies. So being frugal, being efficient, uh, I think would be a good skill to have as a tech co-founder. When my co-founder and I raised our first round, we allowed ourselves a little luxury of an espresso coffee machine. And I'm <laughs> proud to say 10 years on, or nine years on, that, espresso, that little Nespresso machine is still in the office. All right, so frugality, watching your burn rate, all very important things. 
When it comes to actual tech skills, though, what should I be looking for when I'm evaluating a tech co-founder? So I'd say this obviously varies a lot based on the type of product uh, and the business you're building. At a high level, obviously, one of the key skills is finding someone who has a broad set of technical skills, whether they can do back-end, front-end, database, system administration, whatever it is, just because that person really has to be doing everything themselves. They should also be able to take very high-level ideas, well, most often without any specs, and build out a product. And that, I think, is key, as in you need somebody who, I guess, some folks today would call a product engineer, someone who can take an idea think about all of the ifs and buts and caveats and build out a fully fleshed product. Taking a concept and figuring out what questions need to be asked and putting it all together. I'd also say another thing is that being able to work to completion. This kind of ties in with the highs and lows. Like Running the startup sometimes can be very depressing and demotivating when you're not getting the numbers you wanted or the funding you hoped you would get. But despite all of that, if you really believe in the product and the company and the business, you need to keep powering through. So having that mental mindset of just being able to focus on what needs to get done and shutting out all of the noise, I think that's a really important skill to have. Okay, so what about when it comes to pitching investors? It can be an exhausting process, but often all hands kind of need to be on deck, including the tech co-founders, and that's not always within their comfort zone. Uh, So what do you have to share about that? Sure. Ah, There's so much to unwrap on this. I guess one of the key points you raise over here is your tech co-founder is really a partner in the business. And a lot of time they're going to be with you at investor meetings, investor presentations. So they need to have the necessary skills to, well, present, to make a case, and to really express their belief and their determination to build up the company in front of investors. Having said that, again, doing a startup is... As one of my friends had said, is you've got to learn to ride the waves as in the highs and the lows and being able to take rejection. Unfortunately, doing a startup means getting lots of rejections, whether it is from people you're trying to hire or partners you're trying to work with, or as often is the case with investors. I guess the joke I used to say is if you have 100 investor meetings, you're going to probably get 95 no's for absolutely no's and maybe one possibly maybe yes. And all of those no's take their toll. So just being able to power through those or ignore them and not take those rejections personally, but probably more importantly, being able to support your co-founders. All the co-founders or everybody on the team needs to be able to support each other through the, through the highs and the lows. So your, your tech co-founder needs to be someone you get along with, someone you enjoy working with, but somebody who you can both rely on for support. When you're talking about getting 95 out of 100 rejections, it's got to be pretty demotivating sometimes. Did you ever, during that process, suffer from uh, imposter syndrome where you felt like, well, maybe I'm not doing the right thing, maybe I I shouldn't be here? And, And if so, how did you overcome that and power through and get to where you eventually got to, which is a pretty successful startup? So that's a interesting question. I might have been a bit facetious about the 95 rejections, although... It took us a good 11 months for us to raise our first seed round. So I think the numbers are pretty much up there. I think it's a bit of a weird situation, as in, I think with Smart Asset, we got lucky. We kind of powered through and kept on. We had this determination to build what we had in mind. And granted, yes, things changed and we, we got lucky and stumbled across twists or ideas on the product that really got us to where we are today. And sometimes I do keep looking back and wondering, 
at what point might we have pulled the plug and basically just given up? And I think this is something one of our West Coast investors said that like after year two or three, like smart assets growth wasn't the hockey stick that VCs look for. And I think he had said something like, if this were a West Coast company, we would have pulled the plug earlier on. I definitely think we got lucky and our focus and determination allowed us to yes, stumble across ideas that made the company successful. I think the key thing is, one, really listen to your customers, to your users. Secondly, believe that what you're building, if you believe in it enough, then you can somehow make it a success, obviously without well, being maybe too overconfident. But believing in your own talents, honestly, like when I look back, I think we, I was like both my co-founder and I were crazy when we started this, um, <laughs> but there's no, there's no certification or yes, just having a Yale degree or Stanford degree isn't, isn't enough to just say you're going to be a good co-founder or a good startup founder. There's no external validation, right? It's like, it doesn't matter what kind of paper you have, what kind of stamp of approval you have, whatever is if you're building something that doesn't exist and bringing it into this world for the first time. You know, it takes a lot of personal fortitude to, to get that done when there's no real roadmap. Exactly. It's what made me, for instance, a tech co-founder able to build what we built at Smart Asset. I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I loved what we were doing. I believed in it. Sure, it takes lots of hard work, but I'm, I look back now and I can see all the mistakes we did in the past and what I would, maybe would, would repeat and wouldn't repeat. But I think that's, that's a key thing. Actually, that's an important thing of a tech co-founder. You need to find someone who... Obviously, does pick the right whatever tools, technologies, stack, what have you. But more importantly, that they really believe that what they are picking is what they what they want and what they really believe in. As in, I've seen a few too many startups pick things because they're the shiniest toy or the newest tool on the block. Not to say that's a bad reason, but if you're going to have to sometimes stick with those technologies for two, four, five years and beyond, and Sometimes the newest, shiniest tools don't last that long. So finding a co-founder who is confident enough to know what is right and what is not right and what they believe will carry their company and their product forward, honestly, I think that is really extremely important because you can't afford to spend a year building something and after a year realize we have to go back and start from scratch or do it again. That's just not startup reality. A lot of what I'm hearing from you has to do with communication. Having been there yourself, what sort of tips do you have for tech co-founders, especially when they're communicating with non-technical counterparts? So obviously, I think well, I'm coming at this from the technical side, so I might be a little bit biased. I'd say one of the key things is maybe managing skills and expectations. Sometimes tech folks seem to believe or expect that everybody understands or speaks the same language. And often that's not the case. So having a tech co-founder who can explain things in simple, straightforward terms is obviously important. At the same time, there has to be a very high level of trust. As in, if you're a non-tech co-founder, your role isn't to keep questioning your tech co-founder about what they're doing, why they're doing certain things, why they've picked certain tools or whatnot. You, you essentially need to trust that you are partners in this business and your tech co-founder knows what he or she is doing and you need to allow them to get things done. I think there's also a different ways of working. I guess just to give you a quick story, my, my co-founder came from investment banking. So 
his working day was pretty much 5 a.m. to whatever, 11 p.m. Versus in the tech world where it's a bit different when you're sitting in front of a computer coding all day. So it took us a while to get to a balance of what our work day should look like and what productivity on the tech side, I guess, really looks like. So it's important for, again, tech and non-tech co-founders to understand that folks work differently. For me personally, I like to put on my headphones and get a couple of hours of straightforward coding time. And I think this is pretty much what sort of developers or coders will agree. Every time you're interrupted, you don't just lose a few minutes for that conversation. Sometimes you have to go back to figure out what you were doing and unwind a couple of things. So different working skills, different time management, that's something that both tech and non-tech co-founders <clears throat> need to understand about each other. The skills for a, an early stage founder, when you're the only one coding, the skill sets required, the strategy, the tactics is completely different than when you're hiring teams and you're managing people. And what are the, the challenges and how did you make that transition? So that, Chris, is probably one of the most, the toughest questions. Um, and I have to admit, I had a very tough time um, growing from basically a, an individual contributor, building a product to hiring a team, leading a team, and, and growing out that uh, technical and the product teams. I don't think there's any natural progression. You don't just go from a, a coder or developer to a great leader. And in fact, at least speaking for myself, it took lots of help from my team, from my co-founder, um, and even external help. I kind of like to sometimes joke. I had a, what I used to call my organizational therapist who really helped formulate the way, I guess, the way I did certain things. But I think that's actually really important because you need a tech co-founder at the beginning who, who really can get things done, right? So who can build stuff, who can whatever, choose the tools, but who's focused a lot on building the product for the business. But over time, that same person needs to start hiring people and training them and bringing them on board and motivating them and being a leader to that team and interacting with other teams as well, with sales, with product, with dev, whatever. So this, those skills or those personality skills are extremely important, but they're, they're probably not things you might look for day one. They're things you might look for down the road. So I think tech co-founders will need to be aware of this. If that's the kind of role you know, you want to take. Some tech co-founders might prefer to just focus on building stuff and coding. And as the team grows, they might, the team might decide to hire whatever, CTO or team lead, who brings a different set of skills to the table. So you've expressed the challenges you had going from being the, the sole contributor uh, on the tech side to having a, a team and all that. But now mm -hmm. you've started all over again with the founders list. And uh, how are you finding being like the main individual contributor now, has it been easy to go back? Do you find it refreshing or, or is it difficult to, to not have a team? That's interesting. So for Founders List, I guess this started off as a bit of a project that I wanted to build because I, I enjoy coding. So I, I wanted to do this because yeah, I wanted to keep my skills up to date and, and build stuff. But it's very different Again, early days, you're focused on just building things, being as efficient as possible. Sometimes that means cutting corners. So it might mean, I, well, I'm ashamed to admit, like when we started off Smart Asset, I doubt we had a single unit test or test in there. But when I look back, our priority was we had to get a prototype out by a certain date because otherwise, well, we would run out of money and a company can't survive without money. So, so there's certainly things that you do very differently at different stages. When it's just you yourself coding, you know exactly how the code works, you know where everything is, 
you don't need to explain everything to anybody else. But as you're building a startup, you know that over time, that product is going to be modified or well, other people are going to be contributing to the code base. So you do need to plan a bit for, for longevity. Again, it's a fine balance. So I think tech co-founders need to be very aware of that because spending too much time initially building unit tests and building massive infrastructure for something that just needs to essentially be an MVP can bring down a company. I've seen, unfortunately, I've seen a few too many startups that spend too much time and money on building really complex systems when all they need is we need to prove the product to X number of users. And once we prove the product, then we can move on. There's no straightforward answer, unfortunately. It's a, it's a fine line to have to walk. We've seen on Founders List so far that the demand for tech co-founders is much higher than that for business development co-founders, at least in our early users. With that in mind, what can I do if I'm a business development co-founder to attract the interest of highly capable tech people? That, unfortunately, is definitely the case. I guess as some people say, like ideas are a dime a dozen, but finding somebody who can build that idea into a product or bring it to fruition are, unfortunately, in low supply. It's, it's basically, well, I guess the reality of this, of the well, current environment. That said, I think from a tech co-founder point of view, what I would look for myself is one, somebody, an ideas person, a business person who's got real conviction around the idea and the business, right? So I don't really want to speak with somebody who just thought of an idea yesterday morning in the shower and now thinks they're going to build a business out of it. I'd like to speak to folks who have been thinking about the idea, digging, poking holes into it, trying to do some research, quick tests, get some data, um, but essentially a well-fleshed out, well-researched idea. Having some expertise in the field as well would, I guess, definitely help or some, some hands-on experience with the industry, the market that we're talking about, right? So if I'm, my background is in tech, I wouldn't presume to be able to run a, I don't know, an aerospace startup. I don't understand the first thing about aerospace. I think same thing with, well, business people looking for tech co-founders. Of course, there's a question about background and personality. So running a startup is probably a very, I'd say a very tough and very lonely job. So being able to bring real conviction, real motivation, and those leadership skills to be the CEO, the leader of the company, to me, that's something I definitely look for in potential co-founders. And finally, I think if you're a non-tech co-founder looking for a tech co-founder, my recommendation is, you know, you're looking for a partner, you're not looking for an employee. That's a big distinction. So when you're having these early conversations, like really, if you don't believe you're looking for a partner, then I'd probably say you're looking at this the wrong way. Like a tech co-founder does not want to be an employee. They're not looking for, again, speaking in generalities, they're not looking for a high salary, but they're looking for high involvement in the company. So whatever, high equity stakes, but a, a strong voice at the table. So whenever somebody posts something that they're looking for a co-founder, a tech co-founder, but the post seems to implicate that they're looking for an employee more than a, a real partner, I tend to yeah, shy away from those sort of things. But other than that, I think it is, to me, the, the personality is the most important, right? The idea will change over time, but knowing that you found someone who is dependable, reliable, responsible, I maybe knows what, the, well, not knows, <laughs> understands what they're going in for. Like doing a startup is tough. Most startups do not end up at next Facebook or Slack or Google. Most of them, unfortunately, fail. So having somebody who's realistic as a co-founder is, I'd say, really important. It's hard to find that combo, though, of like both realistic and uh, 
super determined to, to have something work. The realistic aspect is a bit important. So as an ideas person, sure, you need to be visionary. And I agree with that. But coming up with ideas that are, you want to build the next um, MailChimp, for instance, whatever, email management system. It's, it might not seem like a very complicated system, but it takes work. It's not something that somebody's going to build in a couple of weeks. Maybe you can build a quick prototype or something, but there's lots of things that goes into building products. So I think that's actually important that the ideas person needs to understand that things take time. And having a tech co-founder who can actually explain in realistic terms or simple terms, like what, what is doable today, what's doable next week, what's doable next month, and what might take a year to get done is important because somehow there's, there's going to be these early negotiations about what, what we can launch with and is that going to be sufficient for these users and when we test that out, what happens next. It's a very long process, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. It's part of the fun of doing a startup. <laughs> and working on a startup really is everything that you've said so far. It's got highs, it's got lows, but it is, at the end of the day, quite a lot of fun so far. So thanks, Philip, for talking with me today. And if people want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Chris, thanks. Actually, thank you. This was, I think, my first podcast, so it was uh, really nice to do this. If anybody wants to reach out, I'm always available. I can be reached at philip at founderslist.com. I love speaking to folks who are building things, especially early stage founders. So happy to carry on the conversation with anybody. All right. That's a wrap for episode three of the Founders List podcast. If you want to get a hold of us, you can reach us at podcast at founderslist.com. I do encourage everybody to subscribe, rate, review. Let us know how you're feeling about the podcast so far, what you want to see on the future. And thank you so much for tuning in.